Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in once again for Simon Morris. This week on At The Movies, an American teenager witnesses a police shooting and is inspired to activism. Everyone wants to know what Khalil did, what he said, what he didn't do. Like it's his fault. I didn't know that a dead person could be charged with his own murder. A 12-year-old Lebanese boy sues his feckless and abusive parents for bringing him into the world. And another child causes trouble for his parents when a recovering drug addict ditches rehab and comes home for the holidays. Here's the deal, and it is not negotiable. You get a day. Are you sure? So long as you pass the drug test I'm about to administer... Stay clean while you're here, and that this time tomorrow you are back in sober living. Yeah, okay. What a week we have for you this week. No superheroes, no demonic nuns or possessed clowns, no animated plastic toy characters, no remakes, no reboots, no snooty costume dramas, no spaceships firing laser beams at each other, no comedies about supposedly adult people behaving in utterly juvenile fashion, no French films about how much more authentically French you are if you live in the country rather than bourgeois Paris, no rock star biographies, no Liam Neeson taking out the trash, no giant Japanese monsters, no talking animals, no muscle car chases through the streets of the capital city of whatever country offered the filmmakers the biggest tax rebates, no implausible musical numbers, no secret agents being disavowed by their governments, and no Tom Hanks playing some impossibly nice and decent character. Nope. What we have here are nothing less than three contemporary issues-based serious dramas, films that make you think and make you feel something other than hungry for more popcorn. Yes, we definitely have plenty to get your teeth into this week. But before we do, news from Sundance, where the annual festival in the Utah mountains has just closed with their jury awards. And for the first time, the four main prizes went to films that were either directed or co-directed by women. The documentary One Child Nation by Zhang Lin and Nanfu Wang. The feature Clemency, directed by Shinonye Shukwu and starring the criminally underseen Alfred Woodard. The world cinema documentary Honeyland, co-directed by Tamara Kotevska. And in the world cinema dramatic section, The Souvenir by English director Joanna Hogg. Last year, all the winners of the Best Directing Prizes were women, but this is the first time that a single gender has swept the board like this since, ooh, as long ago as 2017, when the directors of all the big four prizes were men. By all accounts, it was a quiet Sundance for business. Netflix kept its powder dry, preferring these days to produce its own content. 
but Amazon made a statement by spending a record 47 million US dollars on five films at the festival. That's more than any other studio has ever spent at Sundance, even in the heady days of the early 2000s. Amazon isn't a huge player here in the New Zealand streaming market yet, so it's possible that those pictures might go into the festival or receive some other kind of local release so that we can see them on a big screen. But that's a question for the future. What about right now? A black, white... Nobody gives a shit, we're all the same. But we're not. Y'all want to act black, but you get to keep your white privilege. You think playing ball and jumping in some lame-ass Williamson cipher makes you understand what it is to be black? It doesn't. Star, I just told you I don't see color. I see people for who they are the exact same way I see you. If you don't see my blackness, you don't see me. I see you. Last week on this program, I reviewed the civil rights-era road trip movie Green Book, in which this exchange occurs. You don't know your own people. You, Mr. Big Shot, doing concerts for rich people. So if I'm not black enough, and if I'm not white enough, then tell me, Tony, what am I? I and many of my colleagues have been critical of that film for its ham-fisted and patronising approach to the subject of race in America. But I'm pleased to say that this week we have something much more on the nose. Made for the young adult market, rather than oldies like me, The Hate You Give has more and far less complacent things to say about the subject, and I'm going to come right out and say that I recommend it. The Hate You Give is set in the present day in the fictional American city of Fremont. It's a microcosm of modern American life. There's Garden Heights, the African-American neighbourhood which is blighted by economic disadvantage and the tyranny of drugs. And across the city there's the affluent suburb of Williamson where the cars are big and the houses are even bigger. In Garden Heights, the hard-working Carter family have decided not to send their children to the run-down local high school, but to drive them across the city to Williamson Prep, where everyone goes to college. For a black teenager, this presents something of an identity challenge, and the Carter's oldest child, Star, played by Amanda Stenberg, approaches it this way. Williamson Star doesn't use slang. If a rapper would say it, she doesn't, even if her white friends do. Hey, boo. Hey, how are you? I'm good, bro. Slang makes them cool. Slang makes me hood. Yo, those kicks are lit. Thanks, Space Jams. Williamson Star is approachable. No stank guys are yelling because Williamson Star is non-confrontational. Basically, Williamson Star doesn't give anyone a reason to call her ghetto. And I hate myself for doing it. After a party one night, Star is driven home by one of her oldest friends, Khalil Algy Smith, who she hasn't seen for ages. He wasn't lucky enough to get a Williamson education, and he's ended up dealing drugs for the local gang. But he's clearly a good kid at heart. When they're pulled over for a minor traffic infringement, Khalil, with an understandable surplus of adrenaline in his system after hanging out with Star for a while, isn't deferential enough, and the incident ends with him lying dead on the road, killed by three bullets from a jumpy white cop. 
Star is the only witness to the shooting, but there is pressure on her not to testify. Her dad, the brilliant Russell Hornsby, used to deal for the King Lord's gang, and the grocery store he owns was payment for taking the rap and doing the time a few years ago for the boss, played by Anthony Mackie. There's pressure from Star's mother, too, played by Regina Hall. She's worried that Williamson Prep will kick her daughter out if they think she's been hanging out with drug dealers, and that'll ruin her future. But the community is up in arms, and the protests are getting louder, and 16-year-old Star realises that she can't stay silent, or that she shouldn't stay silent. Khalil's mom loved him, but she was an addict, so there was no one to bring in money to help his little brother and his grandma, who has cancer. So he had to take the only available job in the neighbourhood that would pay him enough to help him. Available job? Dealing for the biggest drug dealers in Garden Heights. Tell me about that. Why are you only asking me about that? I mean, next week I'll be called to testify in a grand jury investigation, but no one wants to know what actually happened. Everyone wants to know what Khalil did, what he said, what he didn't do. Like it's his fault. I didn't know that a dead person could be charged with his own murder. The Hate You Give is based on a best-selling young adult novel by Angie Thomas, and the film is steered towards that same market, so it has to lean way over the precipice but can't quite topple over into the darkness. But it addresses all of its issues with real strength and real heart, and there were many stirring moments thanks to the direction of George Tillman Jr. and a script by Audrey Wells, who sadly died of cancer the day before The Hate You Give was released in American cinemas. The Hate You Give is strident and passionate, and occasionally it tips over into speechifying, but it's impossible to ignore the reality it presents. That's down to strong subject matter and outstanding execution. Point seven of the ten-point program, say it. Stop crying and say it. We want an immediate end to police brutality. Finish it. In the murder of black people and people of color and oppressed people. By what means? By any means necessary. By what means? By any means necessary. By what means? By any means necessary. So why are you going to be quiet? What does that say? Reasons to live give reasons to die. Yeah. You, your brothers... And your mother are my reasons to live and die. I gave each of you power in your names. Seven perfection, starlight, Sakani joy. Use it. So when you're ready to talk, you talk. Don't ever let nobody make you be quiet. One final thought. My companion and I were both impressed by the young actor who plays Chris, Star's prep school boyfriend. He's got a good career ahead of him, we thought. It turns out he already has a good career right now. He's Kiwi KJ Upper, ex-Shortland Streeter, and now the series lead on the TV show Riverdale. I haven't seen a young actor that the camera so clearly loves for a long time. He and Amanda Stenberg make a very handsome couple.
The Hate You Give is rated M for violence, offensive language, drug references and sexual references, and it's playing in limited sessions and only in selected cinemas now. It deserves more, and I hope it gets more. But that's up to you now, isn't it? The Hate You Give takes its title from the acronym Thug Life, popularized by the great hip hop artist Tupac. It stands for The Hate You Give Little Infants F Everybody, as in how we bring up our children has a way to come back and haunt us all. I couldn't help thinking about that watching Nadine Labaki's Capernaum, in which a 12-year-old boy in a Lebanese prison for stabbing the man who married and then killed his 13-year-old sister sues his deadbeat parents for bringing him into the world. Capernaum is a bracing street-level view of a world where children are mostly a combination of fuel and cannon fodder. Disgusted by his parents, Zane hops on a bus with not much more than his wits and discovers an amusement park where he can hide, sleep and bum the occasional meal. He meets Ethiopian guest worker Rahil, played by real-life Eritrean refugee Jordana Shifurov, who takes him in as long as he can look after her baby boy Jonas during the day while she works. <laughs> All these actors, and I'm including the little baby girl who plays Jonas, are nothing short of miraculous. The director, Nadine Labaki, and her casting director, Jennifer Haddad, spent months scouring the slums and souks of Beirut, looking for just the right faces to represent their own lived experiences on camera. Rahil is picked up by immigration and doesn't make it home. Zane has to use all of his street smarts to try and keep the baby alive while he searches in vain for Rahil, uh, with the dubious help of an unscrupulous souk stallholder, fake ID seller and possible people trafficker Aspro. In real life, Shifador, the actress who plays Rahil, was also picked up by immigration during filming and detained for two weeks until the filmmakers could get her out. And after the film was finished, the parents of the baby actor playing Jonas were deported from Lebanon, despite the fact that the baby was born in Beirut. But it gets worse than that. The girl's mother was deported to Kenya and the father to Nigeria, entirely on the other side of the African continent. I've just realised another thing that Capernaum reminded me of, and that's Charles Dickens. Innocent children like Oliver Twist, caught up in the unscrupulous affairs of inscrutable adults. And you have to ask yourself, how bad must life be in Ethiopia if the option of indentured service to a middle-class Lebanese family is preferable? 
Labaki's previous two films have been popular in festivals like ours here in New Zealand. Her first film, Caramel, in 2007, was an easygoing slice of life about several generations of Lebanese women around the beauty parlour they frequent. In 2010, she made Where Do We Go Now, a charming fable about a village where Christians and Muslims live together in perfect harmony, but it, it wasn't helped by the introduction of some unnecessary musical numbers. But Capernaum is next level. Labaki has captured something awful, but something awfully alive with her alert, mobile camera and her patience. It took six months of guided improvisations to shoot and two years to edit. And her ability to work with dozens of non-professional actors to produce something like a Lebanese Ken Loach film. Despite the visceral verisimilitude, Capernaum is also a bit of a fantasy. Zane is a representative of the many millions of children left to rot due to abuse, poverty, war and famine. And the uplifting ending, though totally necessary for audiences to not walk straight into the sea after watching it, also has a bit of a fantasy feel. Capernaum opens in selected cinemas this weekend and is rated M for violence, offensive language and drug references. It should probably get an extra note regarding children in peril. If that's a trigger for you, don't worry, you should still go, but just go prepared. These will both complement your complexion, which is a gift from your mother. You're welcome. Coke, please. Okay, nice. I'm good. Come on. You can't eat it. No. This is love. Alright, free to go. You didn't check my shoes. That's not funny. It was a joke, Mom. Mom, it was a joke. (laughs) Excuse me. Can I get a key to this door, please? Unlock the door, Ben, right now. From a certain angle, our final film for the program this week deals with similar themes to the other two. What we do with and to our children will come back to haunt us in ways we don't expect. But this version, even though it's still a good film, doesn't quite hit the dramatic heights of the other two. In Ben is Back, Julia Roberts, still America's sweetheart, plays the mother of a young man who is in rehab for drug addiction. It's Christmas Eve, and the remaining members of her perfect upper-middle-class family unit are preparing for their annual visit to church, and then a day of feasting and presents. Life is good. But on their return home from nativity rehearsal, they find Ben on their well-heeled upstate New York doorstep. He's checked himself out of rehab and says his sponsor thinks it's okay, and he's come home for the holiday. Instantly, the family goes into self-protection mode, hiding all the prescription drugs and the jewellery. When Ben's stepfather arrives home, he insists that Ben be returned to rehab immediately. He's obviously done a lot of damage in the past, and Neil, played by Courtney B. Vance, wants no more of it. But eventually, a compromise is reached. One day... Christmas Day, and then back to rehab. Here's the deal, and it is not negotiable. You get a day. Are you sure? So long as you pass the drug test I'm about to administer, 
stay clean while you're here, and that this time tomorrow you are back in sober living. Yeah, okay. Now, I'm not done. These are our terms, and I don't give a shit if you hate these rules. You do not leave my sight ever. You do not close the door to your room, where, by the way, I will be sleeping on the floor. And if you try to sneak off, if your bed so much as makes a squeak, I will be all over you because for the next 24 hours, you are mine, all mine. Got it? I got it. Good. Ben is played by the terrific young actor Lucas Hedges. You might have seen him in an Oscar-nominated performance as a teen orphan being awkwardly parented by his depressed uncle in Manchester by the Sea. Or more recently, a boy forced into gay conversion therapy in the drama Boy Erased. He's great in this, brittle, stubborn, self-serving and self-pitying. He also happens to be the writer-director's son. Ben is Back is by Peter Hedges, a name you might not be all that familiar with, even though I'm sure you know some of his films. He wrote What's Eating Gilbert Grape for Johnny Depp and Leonardo DiCaprio and the screenplay of About a Boy for Hugh Grant. As a director, he made the deft family dramas Pieces of April, which starred Katie Holmes, and Dan in Real Life, which was a vehicle for Steve Carell back in 2007. Ben is Back is made in a verite style, handheld camera, natural light, which reminded me of another addict returning to the family story, Jonathan Demme's Rachel Getting Married, which starred Anne Hathaway in 2008. It was a fashionable style then, uh, but less so now. Ben is Back has more plot, though, than those sorts of films usually do, and it asks quite a lot of an audience's credulity in order to keep up with it. The family arrives home after the nativity services to find the house broken into and the beloved family dog, Ponce, an unfortunate name if, like me, you grew up in the UK, is missing. It seems as if some of Ben's former drug-dealing colleagues have decided to send a message now that he's back in town. But which ones? There are so many it could be. And I should have known. I'm so stupid. No, you're not. Please get in the car. Jesus. Where are you going? Ben! Will you stop? I have to fix it. I have to fix it. I gotta find Ponce. Okay, well, just think. I am, damn it. What? You don't understand. There are so many people that it could be. All right, well, we'll just take it one Now get in the car. What follows is a kind of late-night road trip where Ben, whose surname Burns is a bit on the nose for a character whose addiction leaves wrecked relationships in its wake, and his loving but frightened mother travel from ruined life to ruined life looking for the dog that's going to ruin Christmas if the youngsters wake up and he's not there. Even though Ben is in recovery and is on the 12-step program through Narcotics Anonymous, as well as the latest in a series of residential rehabs, he's wobbly, and every step seems to take him closer to a temptation he won't be able to resist. There's a stage in the 12 steps which is all about making amends, and for a moment I thought that might make a good structure for a rehab and recovery drama, but this isn't that film. It takes on more of the trappings of a thriller as the search for the dog reaches a climax. I've talked a lot about the two hedges in this film, but the centre of attention should really be Julia Roberts. She nails that conflicted aspect of motherhood where you just want to shower your damaged kid with love, uh, but know that something stronger is what's really required. 
She can go from sweet to staunch in a heartbeat, especially with those people she believes contributed to Ben's addiction. The scandalously liberal prescription of opioids in the US is a subtext running through the whole film, as well as the hypocrisy of the authorities in failing to deal with it. In the end, the relatively unexamined privilege of the setting makes Ben is back the third cab off the rank today, but that doesn't make it a bad film. It's definitely worth a look. Ben is Back is rated M for drug use and offensive language, that sounds familiar, and is also playing in limited locations across New Zealand now. And that's our program for this week. Playing us out is Bobby Sessions with Katie Young from the soundtrack to The Hate You Give. The song is called The Hate You Give. I'm Dan Slevin, and you can find me on Twitter as at Dan Slevin. That's all one word. And there's more of me in writing at rnz.co.nz forward slash widescreen. Next week, Simon Morris will be back from his well-earned break, and I hope you'll join Join him here at the same time next week. Had enough of defeat from another police officer. They offering us with no punishment. The government will turn against you. Speak the truth before the coffin gets you. I started coughing, I forgot the tissue. I'm growing sick of the madness and I'm sick of the badges. Overwatch me, prepare to stop me. The hate you give, little infants, dead bodies. Botox Cosmetic. Out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.